Welcome to the Other Side of Potential podcast, where we explore how high-level leaders think and prosper in complex business environments. Each episode takes a deep dive into how these leaders balance the complexity of business in our ever-changing world with their own quest for a meaningful and prosperous life. This is Sharon Spano, and welcome to the Other Side of Potential podcast. Before we begin, let me remind you about my latest book, The Pursuit of Time and Money. It's about redefining your experience of these two most important resources, and as the subtitle suggests, an opportunity to step into radical abundance and discover the secret to a meaningful and prosperous life. You can go to SharonSpano.com for a free download of the first chapter. Good morning, I'm Sharon Spano, and welcome to the Other Side of Potential podcast. Join me today in welcoming my guest, Tom Schwab, founder and CEO of Interview Valet. The focus of Tom's business is to help thought leaders find online success via podcast interview marketing. He and his team do this by pairing leaders with targeted podcast hosts so that they can gain more traffic increase customer fans, and ultimately generate more leads. Tom is also the author of Podcast Guest Profits, Grow Your Business with a Targeted Interview Strategy. I love that title. And he is a sought-after speaker in the field. So get your notepads ready, listeners, as I can't wait for you to learn more about how Tom integrates his own quest for a meaningful and prosperous life with the complexity of running and growing a business in this very competitive field of digital marketing. Welcome, Tom. I'm so honored to have you on the show. Sharon, I am thrilled to be here. Thank you. Well, before we get into the questions I have for you, as I always do, I'd love for you to help us understand uh, how it is that a former Navy veteran, I'm just so intrigued by this, that you were a Navy veteran who actually ran nuclear power plants. How did that then evolve into someone who is now considered a leading marketing pioneer? Tell us how that story shaped. Sharon, I think life only makes sense in the rearview mirror. And I got to say that it's starting to make more and more sense as I see all the different pieces of my life that have come together. So, you know, I was blessed to go to the U.S. Naval Academy to all the U.S. taxpayers out there. Thank you for paying my education. And uh, studied engineering. And while I knew I didn't want to be an engineer, I loved the thought process behind it, that everything is a problem. It's a system to be, um, to be, uh, to be engineered. And so with that basis and then working in nuclear power, I was amazed by how you can teach things, how you can systematize things. Uh, people say, well, that's amazing that you were smart enough to, to run that. And I always say the real smart people were the ones that taught us how to do that. And uh, when people say, well, you don't understand my business, you don't understand my job, um, I can't teach that to somebody. I always point back to them and I'm like, they can teach 20-year-old, high school-educated, highly motivated people how to run a nuclear reactor. Clearly, you can teach somebody how to uh, to do a job or, or build a business. So with that, it's always that systems mindset, that teaching mindset. Uh, and when I got out of the military, I had the opportunity to work for a Fortune 500 company in uh, operations and in engineering and sales and marketing. And I always tried to apply that same systems uh, mentality to everything. 
even when I started my own business uh, and now the business today, I always look at it and say, you know, what can we learn? Um, and today it's been, been so much easier to learn what your customers loathe and what they love and stop doing one and start doing the other. Well, I love what you're saying here, and it's kind of interesting to me because I do work with engineers, and, and I know uh, some years ago, and I just actually talked about this the other day on another show, I had asked uh, Harris Rosen, who's one of our uh, renowned entrepreneurs here in the town that I live in, you know, if people uh, are born entrepreneurs or they could learn to become an entrepreneur, and his answer was um, – you know, he believes you're kind of born that way. And so I don't typically see people with engineering minds uh, convert into an entrepreneurial endeavor uh, in their lifetime. I mean, maybe that's just been my experience, but I'm curious to you to, to ha hear you say, because um, you said you went into sales and marketing alongside of operations and all that. What was that process like for you? I mean, did you always feel you were whole brained, if I can use that expression? Um, as you were moving into different elements and different businesses? Uh, I think sometimes I, I tried to push myself into what I thought I was supposed to be. So, you know, um, going to the academy, uh, two-thirds of the people there were engineers. So that became the norm there. But I think that's part of the reason why I probably didn't stick in the engineering field. While I, I appreciated it, I didn't want to do it for the rest of my life. I, I was more on the, the creative side, more on the um, – uh, not the rule follower side. Uh, I look at rules as being suggestions or what people have said can't be done up to this point. Uh, so from that standpoint, maybe that's, that's the reason I wasn't uh, a great engineer, um, that uh, I just didn't, I wasn't born that way. So that's that's an interesting comment. Uh, rules or suggestions, and and for someone who was involved with nuclear power plants, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and I know you as an entrepreneur and a marketer, so I can't imagine you any other way. Was there a particular point in time where you just said, "Okay, I really know this about myself," because that's a courageous move to go. I, I don't. I, I'm you know I'm kind of slated for engineering, but this isn't what I want to be doing. I need to be going in this other direction. I think I felt the the tug there, and uh, you say courageous. My dad said a fool uh, when I, when I left the military. My dad called me a fool. Um, he's like, all you've got to do is put another fifteen years in and retire. And I'm like, it'll kill me. And then when I left um, operations to go into sales and first, you know, do straight commission, that's when he called me a dang fool or words <laughs> to that effect. He's like, you can't do that. You know, you're you're married. You've got a mortgage. You got kids. And I'm like, no, I know I can do that. Um, so from that standpoint, um, I, I think there's how you're wired. Do you see, you know, rules as what you have to do, what you've got to stay in that, that line of, of what everyone else has done? Or do you look at it and say, uh, I can learn from this and go on to other things. And uh, I think you have to understand the rules um, so that you can decide um, how you can apply them. Um, break them or break or, them or, or break them because it, you know um, there's certain rules that if you break they will hurt you very very badly you know um, there's a difference between going 40 in a 35 zone and going 100 in a uh, in a 70 zone um, and you better understand the physics behind that because the uh, consequences besides a ticket are, are much different. 
so, so Tom, I'm just, I, I love the, the, the story that you just shared about, you know, being in the Navy and that whole transition. Tell us then um, how it is that Interview Valet came to be and, and for our listeners, more specifically, what it is and the kind of results that you're seeing in this business. Well, I wish Sharon, I could say that it was all perfectly planned out. So many things in life are, uh, you just build on one thing to the other and it's the customers that actually tell you. Um, what you should do next. Uh, they're the ultimate experts. And really, what Interview Valet is, it's a service that works with thought leaders, you know, authors, speakers, coaches, emerging brands, to get them on podcasts that their ideal customers are already listening to so that they can get that know, like, and trust. You know, today so many people talk about um, how do you break through the noise? Honestly, I don't think there's any breaking through the noise. It's like, you know, yelling at a Super Bowl. Uh, you're not breaking through the noise. You're just adding to it. So this is really a way where you can get in, tell your story, and attract those people um, to you. And really, it comes from my experience with inbound marketing. You know, I ran a company that uh, um, was a regional player in Michigan and grew to a national leader using inbound marketing, which is using content to attract, engage, and delight customers. And about four years ago, we realized that, you know, um, blogs never worked that well. Um, and they were working less and less. And the idea was that in the past, we used to use guest blogging, right? So we'd, instead of putting a blog up on our own site, we would put it on something like the Huffington Post or the Wall Street Journal, get there in front of that audience so that they could hear us and come back to our site. And so the idea was, is could you use podcast interviews that same way? So we started to test that. It worked wonderfully. I mean, so much so, Sharon, um, that I was amazed by the results. You know, a good blog will convert 1% to 2% visitor to lead. And we were seeing conversion rates of 25%, 50%, even 75% of visitor to lead. Uh, and at first I thought, eh, it's just, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a glitch, right? It's the personality or it's the, uh, the niche that they're talking to. And the more we tested it, the more we realized, no, this is an actual system. And as we, we talked to more people about it, they're like, well, that would make a sense, right? Because if, if somebody introduces you, uh, a trusted advisor, which would be a podcast host, introduces you to, to someone that um, is a fan of theirs, and then they listen to you for 30 or 45 minutes it would make sense. They're, they're not a cold lead. It's not cold traffic anymore. If they've listened to 30, 45 minutes and they come to your site, they're ready to engage. So really, uh, you know, I, I joke, uh, my mom is proud of me, but she has no idea what I do. Uh, and I, I basically just say um, that we introduce people who should know each other. And she says, well, that's nice. And that's really what I look at what Interview Valet does is that, you know, we've got some great customers. I mean, great, amazing thought leaders that are making the world a better place. Their biggest problem is that they're obscure to their customers. Those people that they could help today don't know about them. So we're really just helping them get out there so that they can get known and uh, not be obscure, not be the best kept secret uh, to those people that they could help. Well, I love that whole concept. And, and you make me laugh when you share about your mom, because I remember years ago when I was on the speaking circuit and people would ask my husband what I did, he'd say, she talks. 
<laughs> I was like, okay, so we won't make you the head of marketing. Um, but it, it's exciting what you're saying. And I just want to say, you know, full disclosure here that I, that's how I came upon you guys uh, was someone referred me to interview ballet when I was launching my book. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made. And, and as you know, um, launching a book is, is quite a, quite a task and a series of multiple tasks that require a lot of systems. And I really was thrown into this and I thought I was very prepared and, and a lot of things went well and a lot of things didn't, but you and your team were the highlight of the experience because from start to finish, your systems um, were very customer focused. I felt like I was in good hands. Uh, your, your concierge, uh, Terry Schrader was just a dream to work with and really and truly, um, I got on so many great shows and met so many great people, one of which is Stephen Wessner, uh, the CEO of Predictive ROI, and, and why I have my own podcast today. So I have you and Stephen to thank for that because I had been asked you know, for years to do a podcast and I just couldn't quite see how I would fit it in or, or what, what, what the purpose would be beyond the, the obvious. Um, but you two guys have really made a huge difference for me. So your systems definitely work and I would encourage anybody out there who, who, who is a thought leader who is wanting those opportunities uh, to really consider. Um, and we'll have, you know, your contact information, obviously, in the show notes, but you might want to just state it right now while we're on the, on the air, if you would, of how someone might connect with you or someone on your team if they are interested in pursuing um, your services. You know, Sharon, I'll, I'll make a special page just for the people listening here. So if you go to interviewvalet.com forward slash potential, um, I'll, I'll put uh, all my contact information there and I'll put some resources like uh, a copy of the book, Podcast Guest Profits, How to Grow Your Business with a uh, Targeted Podcast Interview Strategy. I'll put a link to my calendar. Um, I realize that as you're listening to a podcast, uh, you don't have time to write everything down. I won't give you all my social media. Just go to interviewvalet.com forward slash potential and anything we talk about here, I'll, I'll put those resources there. Oh, that's very gracious of you. That's just, that's just wonderful. So I, I want to follow up with two questions for our listeners. And I know not everyone listening is maybe as versed in the content marketing world as, as you are. Uh, but you said something that I think would appeal to any of our listeners. And you made the comment that customers tell you what you should do next. And, and that's a very intriguing concept to me because I think sometimes, you know, back in the day, and I know it's not, not as, as uh, obvious anymore, but we, we tend to want to come up with a, a three, five, 10 year plan. And when I say it's not as obvious anymore, I think because people are learning that those plans, while they need to be in place, need to be a lot more fluid with the constant change that we have. And, and so the complexity around that of, of balancing the idea of having a plan, having a vision, you know, living from vision and values and a strategy and systems and processes and all of those amazing things that we know are important to scaling a business. How did you balance that with the idea of listening to what the customer's say you should be doing next? I mean, did, did it change things in a dramatic well, way? And how did, you, how did you seek out what they needed next? Well, and Sharon, I think you hit on all the good points there. You really start with, you know, the vision. You know, what do you, what do you want to do? Who do you want to serve? You may not know what the entire plan is, but what problem are you trying to solve? And then look at it as what are your values? Well, you know, what are you trying to, to come to the world with? And with that, start with the best plan that you can. Like for us, my best plan was is that I knew that podcast interview marketing worked. 
And so people had asked me, how do you do it? And I answered it so many times that uh, uh, somebody said, you should write a book on this. And a friend of mine uh, helped me with that. So I put the book out there. And then somebody else said, you know what? You should do a course. And I'm like, that makes sense. And Sharon, I did, uh, did a course and I never took it out of beta because the feedback on it was great. Um, it sold well just in beta, but people would come back and they're like, you know, I understand how to do it, um, but I don't want to do it all. Uh, you know, it's like uh, you can give me a cookbook. It doesn't mean that I want to make those recipes. I'd rather just go to the restaurant. You can give me a uh, instruction manual on how to change my transmission. It is a certain point. I'm just like, no, let me take it to somebody there uh, to do it. And we had a client that came to me and uh, uh, he had taken the course. Uh, he's, he's become a great friend now. And he's like, I just want to be the guest. You take care of all the rest. Uh, he said, Sinatra only sang. And he said, uh, that's all I want to do. Let me be the performer. You take care of all the rest. And so with that, I had this plan of what it was going to look like for me to help people. And I thought it was an online course. And then after I tested that, um, the experts told me that, no, that's not the best way to do it. And I always laugh because I say that I've got opinions. I've got a business coach. I love him dearly. He's got opinions. But the only people that have the answers are the customers. And they're always telling us with their, their dollars, with their, their time, with their, their clicks on the internet. They'll tell us what we, they love and what they loathe. And I've just got to be smart enough to know right answer when told and do more of what they love and do less of what they loathe. I mean, there's a, even once we started Interview Ballet and started to do this white glove concierge level service, uh, you'll probably remember we'd always ask you, um, you know, what brings you the most value? Um, um, how can we make your life easier? And so with that, People are telling us what services that we provide give them the most value. And we start to hear the same things um, over and over that those are the valuable portions and then other things that don't. Well, they're just telling you, I, I love these, I loathe these. So start doubling down on what your customers, the experts are telling you. And really, uh, we've got such great tools now for that. I mean, there's, you don't have to be really techie to realize you know, what products are the best selling, which, which customers do the best, um, which, which clients you get the best feedback on. And so with that, just always trying to improve. Uh, there's a great book by Mike Michalowicz um, called The Pumpkin Plan. And if you want to grow giant pumpkins, he says, always start with the biggest pumpkin and then just start cutting away those, those portions that aren't adding to it. So if you've got a smaller pumpkin, you got to put all the nutrients to the big pumpkin. And uh, uh, it's a great metaphor on, on what we try to do. And the, our customers will tell us, hey, there's a big pumpkin. Focus on that one. That little one, nah, just cut that one off. So what's so one of the things that you did that I just loved that was so impressive to me and so in alignment with your brand of, you know, concierge and the word valet uh, was, and I don't know if you're still doing this, but you sent me at the very beginning a little nice uh, leather looking uh uh, I want a journal, journal, mm -hmm. uh, with some other materials that if I remember correctly were laminated that kind of gave me, you know, some systems and things to consider, like how to prepare, you know, for the podcast and, and all of that. And the other thing that I loved was that you guys crafted a one sheet for me that went out 
In fact, I just shared one with a client of mine today um, because she's thinking uh, she's she's got something that she wants to launch. And I was telling her about you guys. So I sent her the one sheet that you created for me. Uh, you know, to sh- that, that was intended to be shared with uh, pot- potential podcast hosts. So those were like little details, but yet very significant to me as a consumer. And when you're talking then about, you know, dollars and time and clicks, um, I just want for listeners sake, that sounds to me like you are very systematic in terms of how you watch the analytics around the business. Is that accurate? Yes. And I mean, this, those examples that you gave, are perfect examples of how we listen to the customer. So originally, we drop shipped a microphone from Amazon, and that's how you got your microphone. Oh, I and forgot then, about that. Yeah, I remember that now. Mm-hmm. Because it's so important that you have professional sounding equipment, and we would just drop ship it. And it's just another Amazon package. You don't even remember who you get it from. And so then I, I had those orange leather journals that I always would use, and clients would see them and say, oh, that's beautiful. Where did you get that? And, you know, I buy them in bulk, so I would give them one. And they always seemed to like that. And then we had another client that we were talking to, and we'd always email them the, the PDF of the checklist of here's what to do before your, um, your podcast interview. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll put that on the page too, that um, the checklist of everything to do uh, before, during, and after a podcast interview. I'll just put that at interviewvalet.com forward slash potential. But one of our clients came back and said, I love that. You know what I did is I printed it out and I took it down to Kinko's and I laminated it and it's, I pull it out for every podcast interview. And I'm like, that's genius. Why don't we do that? So we print them up now and we laminate them and we put it in there. So there's all those little things. It wasn't my genius idea to do that. It was just hearing it from a customer that said, hey, this is, I I really use this or here's a trick that I use. And we say, how could we bring value to other people with that? Now, do you, do you periodically survey your customers? We do. Um, I hate surveys personally uh, because they're so informal. I think you can do surveys all the time. And you should always be serving, surveying your customers and your team should be also, you know, um, and just ask them the open-ended questions, you know, of what, what could we do better for you? You know, what's the pain point that we could help? What brings you the most value of all the things we do? You know, what's the thing that brings the most value? What's, what's the thing that brings the least amount of value? And just bringing those up in conversation, um, you'll start to hear different themes uh, with that. And I think that... Um, from, I don't know if you'd call that a survey. It's definitely not statistically significant, uh, but it's one of those things that, uh, that any business could do. You know, my grandpa could have done that and I'm sure did it while he was um, uh, running his business. Um, there's nothing digital about it. It's just asking questions and asking the experts the questions. Mm-hmm. And I think people like to, to feel that they have input um, into the process in one way or another. Um, I think I did receive something from you at one point and I was, I was, you know, glad to, to fill that out, but I can't remember for certain because it's been a while, but I, 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 I'm just recalling that whenever I do get something like that, um, particularly if it's a good experience, you know, it feels good to be able to have an opportunity uh, to share that. Uh, so let me ask you this then at the deepest level of meaning to you, what would you say is the essence of your work? Connection. Okay. I, I think it really boils down to that. Uh, I, um, the Bible in the very beginning says it's not good for man to be alone. 
Now, you know, it means that, uh, you know, he, he created man and female, but I think that line there, it's not good for man to be alone, uh, is so true. And even you look at, you know, what's the worst punishment that you can give to a convict? It's, it's to put him in solitary confinement. You know, it's many, many nations in the world consider that cruel and unusual punishment, but yet we do that to ourselves. Um, in this, you know, digital world, um, I'm working from a, a remote office, um, and it's really easy for me to put my head down and just be isolated from the world. And, uh, you know, the richness of your life is the richness of your relationships, uh, all of that. So I think really what what uh, I focus on, what the company focuses on is, you know, like just how I explained it to my mom, we, we connect, we introduce people who should know each other uh, for the betterment of all. So that's got to feel really rewarding for you, right? When you make those kind of connections and you see kind of a spark uh, kind of happen between these two individuals and maybe something bigger evolves from that in terms of how they might come to do business together. Oh, very much so. And it's, um, I I call it cross-pollination, right? Mm -hmm. In nature, the only way you bear fruit is through cross-pollination. And I think it's the same thing in our human experience. If you want to bear more fruit, you need to cross-pollinate. You need to get new ideas, and that can come from from books, introductions, people you meet, all the rest of that. So even when you were telling the story about we introduced you you to Stephen Wassner and Onward Nation, and that spawned your podcast. Now, I'm not going to say that you know, I'm responsible for the podcast. No, but it was fun to think about, wow, that butterfly effect that they introduced them. And then, you know, all the people that are listening to you now all came out of that introduction. Um, You know, it's like, how are you making the world a better place or a worse place? And those introductions can make the world a better place. And today it's so easy to do. Um, Why wouldn't we? Well, and it's it's kind of fun too because I'm seeing there's there's sort of this thing, and I'd love your input on this that I'm seeing where we're we're shifting away from uh, what I'll call almost that pseudo connectivity that we had through social media, and and I seem to be seeing a lot of people, particularly in the digital marketing area, content marketing, you know, the 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 tech companies. Uh, I've been inter- interviewing a lot of those those high level leaders in, in the major tech companies, and and they're, because so many are working with employees that are remote, they're being much more conscious about what engagement means and and how to how to create engagement and how to create the connectivity. And I, I, it feels like there's something happening here where we're going into deeper relationships. Like I, like I would consider Steve Wester a friend now. Uh, both he and his partner Eric Jensen. I mean, we we have we have become friends. I feel even though you know we're doing work together, um, and I have a lot of those connections, even in Europe. You know, people that I zoom with, you know, once a month that I have deep, meaningful conversations with in my field. Are you seeing some of that in the industry as well? Oh, very much so, and I love that because at times you forget. Have I ever met this person in real life? Because I don't, I don't think you and I have ever met in real life, but I consider you a friend. And the thing is, is that uh, it was probably a year and a half ago, we had an awful tragedy uh, here in Kalamazoo. A very sick man uh, went out and murdered uh, a lot of innocent people. Wow. Um, it happened on a Saturday night. I woke up on Sunday morning um, and I looked at my phone. And I had all these text messages and Facebook messages and some emails from different people just reaching out and saying, you know, praying 
for you and your family. Um, that, uh, you know, I, I, I hope everything is okay. I hope you're safe. Um, and I was looking at it and thinking, what are they talking about? It wasn't until I walked downstairs, my wife had the news on, explained to me what happened. And here were people that I had never met in real life, but knew that I was from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, there was one gentleman from uh, the Carolinas that had, they had had a, a similar, um, uh, you know, mass murder. And mm-hmm. he reached out to me and said, you know, hey, if you ever want to talk, you know, it'll make your community stronger, all the rest of this. And I'm like, here's somebody that I, I just known from a podcast I've talked to, uh, maybe did a Zoom call with them, but thought enough to reach out to me with those words of wisdom, words of comfort, the prayers. Um, and then, you know, it wasn't so later on in the day I had family and friends that, oh yeah, I saw that on the news. And so it's like, who do you have the better relationship with? You know, um, I've got neighbors around here in, in Southwestern Michigan, beautiful, wonderful people. Um, but I, I see them every now and then They're, and we're always friendly and cordial. Uh, but there are people uh, around the world that I talk to more remote or more often. I mean, the, the workers that I work with, um, we're all a virtual team. We've got 14 people all based in the, the United States. Uh, but, you know, I'm talking to them daily and most of them I've never met in real life. And, you know, the weirdest thing, Sharon, is when you meet somebody in real life, you have no idea how tall they are <laughs> because because there's, there's never been any scale. The other thing is um, we, we've talked other times, but when I listen to podcasters, I always listen to podcasts at one and a half times speed while I, while I run at half X speed. But when I meet a podcaster that I, that I listen to regularly and I meet them in real life, it's so weird because their voice is so slow and it's, it's just different. I'm used to listen to them sped up. Oh, that's funny. I never thought to do that. I mean, you can, you can actually understand them when you speed it up. Yes. And I, I, probably got undiagnosed ADHD uh, and my, my mind tends to wander. So like even with audiobooks, um, if I speed it up to one and a half or two times speed, I tend to focus better on that. And the same way uh, with podcast interviews, I've just gotten normal to um, listen to it at usually about one and a half to two times speed. And it varies for different podcasts, but to me, uh, I concentrate better and I also get to do more listening to podcasts. That's interesting. Well, I'll have to try that. Well, before I get to the questions, because I have some questions that, that I want to get to around, you know, your sense of meaning and purpose beyond what we've talked about and, and how you're managing the complexity that's out there in the world. But I wanted to uh, just touch briefly on what you said about blogging, because I know that's a very controversial thing even still. And I was one that blog, blogged twice a week for about two years. And, um, I loved it because I'm a writer, but I didn't see the conversions. And so um, then I then I read some things that, it, you know, it kind of was a thing of the past, but then you hear other things that it's still necessary. And I know a lot of the high-level uh, content marketers uh, still put content up in that form. So what, what are you seeing? What are your thoughts around blogging beyond what you've said? And I'm glad you asked that because that was totally my prejudice coming out in that. So for me, I'm an audible learner. Um, I always have been in school, um, and it's easier for me to provide to produce audible content. Uh, you know, for me to write a blog is a homework assignment. For us to get together and talk, this is fun. Uh, 
So I think what you have to do is you have to identify what's the easiest way for you to produce your content, and then you need to reproduce it in ways that are easiest for your audience to do that. So not everybody um, listens to podcasts. You know, 10% of the U.S. population is hearing impaired. Guess what? They're not going to listen to your podcast. But you could transcribe that podcast and they would read that. Um, some people love to love to watch. Uh, you know, there's podcasts out there that are YouTube stations. So they put the video up there and it's just two people talking. So is that is that a, a video? Is it YouTube? I don't know. Then they'll repurpose it and put it up as a podcast. So then it's a podcast and maybe they'll to put the transcription up as a blog. So I think it's, it, I think the lines are starting to blur a lot um, from the standpoint of what is content. Um, and I think you have to put the content up there and certain audiences will, will gravitate to certain contents more than others. So if you're, if your audience is readers, well, then you better have some blogs up there, but I think it's, it's great to, um, to have an all of the above. And the one thing about blogs is still um, the search engines can't, index uh, video or audio. So like it or not, um, the search engines still look at blogs for, um, to, for traffic and where to send that. So a lot of people will take like a podcast interview. Uh, maybe they'll put the video up there, then the podcast interview below it, and then the blog, uh, the transcript down the transcript. below that. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're thinking about that as well, because I do know that's important. And I know for the people that I follow that do both, sometimes I listen to the podcast and sometimes I read the transcript, just depends on, you know, what's going on in my life and the, and the time that I have. So I appreciate you're giving us some clarity around that, because I think, you know, the main piece that I would take out of there for listeners is what you said at the beginning of that, of that uh question or the response that you gave to the question is that uh, do what you love. I mean, do what feels natural for you. And, and I think that's important because if you don't enjoy doing it, you're not going to do it well, or you're not going to do it consistently. Very, very much so. And today there's, it's easy enough to leverage your strengths. So for me, uh, when I was writing blogs, um, I'd come up with the ideas in the shower and come up with four or five bullet points. Then I could record it and I'd, I'd record a rant and we all talk at about 150 words a minute. So if you can talk about a subject for four or five minutes, that's a 600 word blog post. Then I would get that transcribed and then I would send it to somebody on my team and say, Hey, could you clean this up? And you know, they, they'd clean up the, uh, the language, the, um, the grammar, uh, they might put uh, a picture at the front. They might uh, indent it different ways. And all of a sudden I could do what I did easily enough, you know, dictate something for five minutes and then with a little bit of added um, labor, a little bit added talent there, it could come into a blog very easily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's, that's a great idea. Well, let me, let me take you to some questions more at a personal level now, because I know that when we were, when we started the podcast, you were talking, uh, I love the, the language you used about your dad uh, saying you were a dang fool uh, when you, when you left the Navy and then left, a, a, I believe it was a great job opportunity. Um, so I'm curious, what was the first thing that you remember learning about money? That money was scarce. Uh, and that money didn't grow on trees. It was definitely a uh, fixed mindset. And uh, I, I, 
had a wonderful childhood. It was like growing up in Mayberry, but it was very limited. Um, you know, the rich people were the people at the country club that I got to caddy for. Um, and then there was everybody else. I hadn't been more than a hundred miles away from my hometown. Um, when I grew up, uh, until I went to the Navy when I was 17 years old and then to be on the East coast and see what, what money was there. And then within a year I got to go around the world. I mean, I actually got to meet, um, what would it be? The Emir of the United Arab Emirates, the Emir of wow. uh, uh, Dubai, one of the richest men in the world at that time. And to realize what, what real wealth was like there. And that just money is, you know, it really changed my mind on what money was and that it wasn't a fixed, limited, scarce thing. Um, it's just, it's just a tool. And so I, that's, I'm so fascinated by the conversation around money. As you know, my, my book is around that and, and the paradigms that we pick up. And I'm wondering, because it seems I'm, I'm seeing more and more of this theme for of, of people who have either parents or grandparents that were post-World War II. There is this notion, uh, and I was jokingly saying to somebody that uh, the other day, my mother used to save tinfoil for heaven's sakes, uh, which seems ridiculous in this day and age, but it was, a, it was a new commodity in her age, you know, that I'm assuming probably was scarce or expensive. But, but do you feel in some way that th- this, this kind of notion from your parents that money is scarce, and, it, and that was the other thing my family always said is it's, that's for rich people. I heard that all growing up. That's for rich people. And I was always curious, like, well, wonder why they get it and I don't. Um, that just never made sense to me. Do you have a sense that that might have just been a post-war mentality in your own family? I wonder if it even goes back another generation from that. Because, you know, I can remember my dad saying, waste not, want not. And mm-hmm. I asked him one time, you know, why do you say that? He's like, I don't know. I grew up hearing that. And my <laughs> yes. dad was born in thirty nine so I'm sure it was his parents you know going through the depression that's what they always just said um, and that you know it's like wow you know so you know 30 40 50 years later that keeps getting passed down there I wonder what I'm passing on to my uh, my kids and grandkids now uh, but I think that there's that living in the past as opposed to living in the future um, and not that our parents did anything wrong. I mean, they gave me a great, uh, great childhood. They were trying to teach me the, the best that they knew. Uh, but I think it's important to get out there and, and see, see what it is. Or do you see money as a, as a currency of whether you're good or not? Um, I remember my daughter, um, one of the things we really wanted to do was to get her out of the United States on a mission trip so she could see what, what uh, the rest of the world was like. And the funny part was, is she wanted to go to Haiti. Uh, There was a mission trip to Haiti and she wanted to go. And afterwards she admitted that she just wanted her passport stamped. She had no stamps in her passport. Um, And I think she went there thinking that poor people were less than her or weren't as educated as her, or weren't as good as her. You know, she she went there to Haiti thinking that because she was uh, rich, white, and middle class, that in some way she was superior. And that girl came back so different. Um, mm. It was something that I learned in the military going around to different countries. But she came back and she said, those people were, you know, we're learning things in grade school that she was learning in high school, um, that they were so generous that they had nothing, but they shared it, um, shared whatever they had. Uh, and she would tell the stories about, you know, what it was. I think it was like 20 orphans, um, shared a two liter bottle of pop 
and they shared it with everybody else that was there. And, um, that at the and when they were finished with that they put the cap back on it and then they played soccer with the empty bottle and wow. she would tell the, tell this story and she's like those people were happy they were smart they were ingenious they were um they were grateful so all of that and i i think um that really changed her mind on what money was too yeah, I think, it, it, you know, whenever you can have the opportunity to travel, for those of us that have been blessed enough to do that, particularly uh, into to other countries that have, you know, that are still developing or, or even underdeveloped. I was in Sri Lanka a couple of years ago and, and um, was just amazed by the, the generosity and the the level of abundance that lived in so many of the people's hearts there when they had virtually nothing. You know, in some of the places that we were in, it was it really was a life changing experience for me. So you really did something there for her, um, because I, I think it, we, it's easy for any of us to get isolated into what we have and think that's the norm. So when you talk about money as a tool, how did that once you came to that realization in your life, um, how did you how, how did that change the way you thought about your potential in business? Um, I, I think it's from the, the standpoint of um, time is time is a concept, money is a money is a tool, and, and looking that at it from if you've got all of this money out there, right? Um, you've got all this opportunity, so how can you how can you leverage that the the best? Um, and I think it really opened up what was possible. Um, that today more than ever, it's not this incremental change, right? Um, I love, there's a gentleman by the name of Bix Bixen, who's a great thinker. He's up in Canada. And he points out that most people don't have a future. They just have an extension of their past. Mm. And I, I, I think it's true. And so when you look at, well, I've only got, you know, this much money, what can I do next year? Um, you know, if I make 3% in a bank account, how much will I have? If I grow my business 3%, um, how, how big will it be next year? And it's always this, let's look at the past and just do a minor extension to that. And really, when you look at it to say money is a tool, well, then look at what other people's money, what other people's resources, what other people's time could you partner with? Could you um, get advice from? And all of a sudden, it goes from this incremental thinking to really exponential thinking. And, you know, some, I think there's one book that calls it, you know, blue ocean strategy mm -hmm. of not, you know, what's the next step, but what's the, what's the big thing we could do. And I think it gets back to what we talked about before of um, sometimes it's scary to say, um, well, here's my business plan in three, five or 10 years. Um, that's very incremental thinking. It's a lot of times of saying, Hey, here's, here's who I want to help. Here's what the big picture thing that I want to do. And then how can I find the tools? How can I find the resources in order to do that? Because, you know, money, it's, it's, it's a tool. It's always limited. When people say, well, I don't have enough money to do everything I want. Well, welcome to the world. You know, Amazon, um, uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, you know, all of that. They don't have enough money to do everything they want. Uh, but uh, it, it's a limited thing. They don't have as much time, enough money, uh, time or money. So they prioritize it and do what they can. Uh, but uh, I think just looking at it as a tool. So so let's pick up then because I love what you said about Jeff Bezos. I just did a solo cast on uh, kind of this very same thing around it's a mindset. You know, when you think of money as a tool, 
it shifts the game. Uh, but as you think back over your life and your career, uh, beyond the money conversation, has there ever been a point in your life or business when things fell completely out of balance and you realized that you needed to make some drastic changes? I think life is always out of balance. Um, this whole idea of work-life balance, um, I think sometimes we, send, we, um, we set people up for failure thinking that everything is supposed to be in balance. Um, uh, there's different seasons for different times. And, you know, when farmers, they would work sun up to sundown to, to plant the, the, during planting season. And then when it was harvesting season, they do the same thing. So was their life out of balance? Um, you know, when I, had, uh, when I had children that were really young, man, my life was completely out of balance. So I think sometimes it's just um, accepting that tension um, not everything's supposed to be perfectly in balance all the time. It's a season and you can't do everything at, at all times. Um, so trying to, to enjoy that season, but then also asking yourself what's important at this time. Uh, there's urgent and there's important. Uh, a lot of things that I think are, um, are important or urgent. Uh, if all of a sudden I got a, um, a call from the hospital that a loved one was there, all of a sudden they're not important anymore. Um, so it's, it's, I think it's, it's taking a step back. And once again, it's mindset, right? Uh, everybody says, I don't have enough time. Well, we're all given the same amount of time. And how can some people choose to do things and choose to live in an abundant mentality, uh, abundance of time, not feeling rushed? It's, it's just how they view it. So I think um, when I felt out of balance, it was really self-induced so that I, I wanted to do all of these things. And, you know, the Bible says that you can do um, all things through Christ. It doesn't say you can do everything. And often I would go think that, um, you know, I can do everything. It's like, no, you've just got to pick what's important at this season. And uh, I did, always didn't make the right decisions um, on that. But I think uh, that uh, when you feel out of balance, one of the best things you can do is, is take a step back and say, what's the most, most important thing that I should be doing right now? I love that because I think, you know, with all the pressure that we're all up against and, and we are all being asked to do more faster, um, you know, it, it, just because of the nature of the complexity is I love to, you know, think about all the complexity that we're in the middle of and just all the information that's out there and, and the speed of response that's required of us. And Rob, Rob Glazer uh, talks about, and I, I've, I've adopted this language because I like it better, work-life integration. And I think it speaks to what you're, you're talking about is that, and I think this is important for listeners who, who may not yet have come to the place that you're describing, that, you know, it, it is seasonal and there's sometimes we're going to feel more pressure than others. But I'm curious if you think um, a lot of this has to do with how passionate you are about your work. I think so. I think passion is, it, is part of it. Um, the drive. I've always said patience is a virtue, but it's not one that I have. Uh, you know, my, my prayer to God is, Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. Uh, yeah. he's, he's never really uh, responded to that well. But uh, um, I, I think it's sort of taking the long, long-term look on it. So that if you want to get everything done right away and just race through it, uh, it can be frustrating. But uh, just, and I have to remind myself of 
this. Uh, one of the practices I do at night is to, to do sort of a little recap of the day before I before I call it a day. You know, what are the things that I accomplished? You know, where did I fall down? Where did I need to do better? What am I grateful for? What am I excited about that next day? Because there's always going to be more work to do. There's always going to be more things on the to-do list than you'll ever have time for. Um, so just, uh, just being grateful, I think, uh, for what we get the opportunity to do. And, uh, you know, good Lord, uh, willing, we get another day to, to work on the to-do list. Well, and I like the idea of the recap at night because I, I know in my younger days, I used to go to bed focusing on what I hadn't got done instead of what I did get done. And I mean, I, I'm sure we're similar in this that, you know, I accomplish a great amount each day. And if I don't acknowledge that, um, I could very easily start to feel overwhelmed. But in looking at, wow, I really did everything I wanted to do today and usually a lot more, uh, that, that helps me relax into the idea that tomorrow's another day and what didn't happen today will happen tomorrow. And that's okay too. It's that perspective. And once again, what we talked about with isolation, if you're just in your own mind all the time, um, it can be, it can be tough. You know, I, I only worked 20 hours and I, I thought I would get 40 hours worth of work done. Um, it's not reasonable. So just really stepping back and saying, uh, taking the long-term bigger perspective on it. Well, with, with all the things that you've talked about and you've shared a lot of wisdom, what is the one thing that you've done or, or gone about doing in achieving your success that no one knows about you? Uh, to me, it would probably be uh, that most people don't know that I'm have no depth perception. Uh, you know, some people would say I'm shallow. No, I'm not shallow. I just have no depth perception. You mean and from, I was, from I was a born, visual perspective or depth? From, from a visual perspective. Okay. So I, 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 I see the world 2D. Um, I've gone to 3D movies. I don't see what the big deal is about them. They look <laughs> the, same, the same to me. And it was just, um, <laughs> I was just born that way. Um, I got into the Navy um, on a technical error. Um, it was all over my medical records, but they didn't figure it out until my senior year. So when you look through binoculars and see the two images come to one, I just see two images. And so for me, I always saw the world that way and learned to accommodate um, for it uh, accordingly. And it's like people that are colorblind. Well, if you've never known color, how do you know that you're blind to it? Uh, so from that standpoint, um, I think... It was a challenge at times, uh, but I think it also helped me uh, be who I am. You know, I realized really quickly what sports I was good at and what sports I wasn't good at. You know, uh, basketball, uh, I was not good at. I, I, may, I may shoot it 10 feet in front of the net or 10 feet over the net, but uh, oh the, the, and baseball the same way. So it, it taught me, you know, work to your strengths and also to work around other things. Um, you know, my, my kids, I taught every one of them how to parallel park, and I told, taught most of their friends how to parallel park and how to pass the test, you know, that if you have no depth perception, well, make sure that you take the test um, on a sunny day in the afternoon or the early morning because that way you get shadows and just watch the shadows. That'll show you how far you are <laughs> to the cones. And people are like, you're kidding. I never thought about that. And I'm like, it's, it's how I've done it all my life. You know, if, if it's a cloudy day or nighttime, we're not parallel parking. We'll just keep going around the block and find a bigger <laughs> spot. But I think from that standpoint, just, uh, uh, you know, we're, we all have challenges. 
it's just you're learning how to work around those. Well, and you you have a lot of self awareness, I would say. So that's something that you have you intentionally cultivated that through your through your career through your life. I think it's come with age, mm-hmm. um, and you know my. I think I'm becoming more emotionally intelligent the older I get. And because of that, um, I think I've got a richer life. Um, growing up, especially as an engineer and in the military, um, emotional intelligence was not something that was taught nor, nor felt that it was needed. Uh, you know, you could do it all with IQ and hard work. You didn't need emotional intelligence. So I think um, the older I get now, the more I realize uh, – what I don't know, what I don't know about myself, and I'm a voracious learner, so I'm always trying to trying to figure me out. Yeah, yeah, I, I see that with a lot of people that are successful. I think you know, is is what 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 needs to be developed next is kind of you know always uh, in in the equation. So I want to be conscious of your time, and as we as we wind down here, I, I'm just sort of um, smiling to myself because I just so enjoy. Uh, time with you and listening to you. And, and I'm just so grateful for you and the work that you're doing on behalf of so many. Uh, but given that your company is growing and there's a lot going on in this whole world of uh, digital marketing, when, when you think about the complexity in today's marketplace, what is the one thing that you feel you're up against in your business? The speed of change. Mm. Um, I think that is changing faster than ever. Uh, and what a great company was, uh, what a market leader was two years ago, if you stay there, um, you won't be a market leader for long. Um, so I think that speed of change, um, I'm always amazed how fast that is, uh, is going. And um, being a small company, we're growing, we're always changing. But I think the, the idea that I'm going to do something the same way for the rest of my life or even for years or for decades, um, I, I, I'm not sure that that reality exists anymore. For me, I enjoy that. Um, I wouldn't want to be doing something uh, for decades the same way, but I, I see the challenges from other people um, that uh, how fast the world is changing and it can be a, a scary place. Yeah, and I think it's, I agree with you that it's going to pick up because when you think about just how our world has changed um, just since apps came into place and every day there's a new platform, a new app. And I know for myself, I interface with so many different individuals and they're all on different platforms. And then I have to learn that platform to interface with that group or whatever. Um, so I, I think we're going to continue to see this. What would your, your last bit of advice be to someone who is in business, a small business or otherwise, uh, in order to kind of keep up with this as best they can. I, I think it would be that you've always got to learn and there's people out there that will help you. Uh, you know, what's ordinary to you is amazing to other people and vice versa. So you can go out there and teach what you know um, and help other people. And then the same way, learn from other people. Today, now we live in a wonderful time, Sharon. I mean, there's a lot of problems in the world, but there's no better time to be alive. Um, you know, if you're ignorant or isolated, um, today it's largely by choice. And so uh, if, you've, uh, if you don't know how to do something, don't let your pride and ego get in the way. Uh, find somebody that knows how to do it. Admit, I have no idea. Can you help me? Can you show it to me? Uh, luckily, uh, my daughter has been very helpful to me. Uh, I was the one that asked her, um, how do you post an Instagram photo from your, uh, from your desktop? 
And for anybody that knows, it, it can't be done. She, mm. she shook her head. She came back to me and she said, with her mobile phone, she goes, let me give you an Instagram lesson. And she was, the, <laughs> she was so helpful with that. So just don't, uh, for me, it's not letting the pride get in the way. Just, just ask. Well, for those of you that have uh, millennial children, you are, you are greatly blessed. I see the difference between what my colleagues know versus what, what I know. Uh, but we are in the age of collaboration for sure. And it's never been easier. So that's, that's really, really good advice. Tom, I want to just thank you so much again for your time and your wisdom and your energy and your humor and all that you brought to the table today. Uh, it's just been a joy to to have you on the show. I, I feel very blessed today. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon. I mean, this this conversation it fed my soul today, and I really appreciate you, your book, what you're teaching the world, and also the podcast. You know, I know that anybody that says doing a podcast is easy has never done it or never done it well. You know, you just make it look easy. So um, I know you're not going to ask, so I'm going to ask. You know, if somebody listens to this leave a rating and review because that's how other people find out about this. Um, so that's, that's my plug at the end. Well, I appreciate that very, very much. And we will uh, just hope to do this again another time. And I, I thank you. And listeners, I know that you've received as much joy and wisdom from listening to Tom today as I have and some pretty amazing strategies from the conversation so I'm going to challenge you to listen to it again and, and take some notes if you didn't have time to do that today. And as I always do, I'm going to challenge you to implement at least one of those strategies. Uh, he gave us many um, over the next week, like pick something, do it over the next week. But then as I also always do, more importantly, challenging you to continue the process of personal and professional development, because remember, you cannot be big and small at the same time. But the good news is you get to choose, and I hope you will choose big. Until next time, here's to your highest potential. If you want to learn more, go to SharonSpano.com. That is S-H-A-R-O-N, Sharon, S-P-A-N-O, Spano.com. Or send an email to Sharon at SharonSpano.com.